This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com.
Welcome to From the Top, where outstanding young musicians come to play. We just heard 16-year-old pianist Sehyun Kim play the Ondine from Gaspard de la Nuit by Maurice Ravel. I'm your host, pianist Orly Shaham, and we have a wonderful set of musicians from the Walnut Hill School for the Arts, the renowned boarding high school located about an hour west of Boston. We're here to share in the celebration of their 50th anniversary. Today, we will meet and hear the music of five current or recent Walnut Hill students. I have the pleasure of introducing you now to 16-year-old pianist Sehyun Kim, whose seductive Ravel we just heard. Originally from South Korea, Sehyun is now a senior here at Walnut Hill. Welcome to From the Top, Sehyun. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I wish that our listeners could see your hands. You're like an artist throwing and manipulating paint onto a canvas. Oh, that's a wonderful description. Thank you. Can you tell us what the title of this piece is and what it's about? Undine sort of translates to water nymph or water spirits. Mm-hmm. It's based on a poem by romantic period poet Aloysius Bertrand. Undine is a water spirit that lives in the ocean in a, in a castle and wants to marry a mortal on land. Undine tries to seduce him and proposes to him, but he declines and says, I love another. And Undine jumps into the ocean and turns into foam. Mm -hmm. And that's so beautifully portrayed in the music. What are some of the challenges that come with interpreting a piece like this? I want the listeners to have a vivid image while they're listening to my piece. Mm -hmm. Not the words, but the image of the poem. So Ravel works to evoke those images through some incredible technical challenges. So 30-second notes go on throughout the whole piece. (laughs) Those are those very fast little notes that repeat. Yes, and it should have a very shimmering quality like the ocean. They're incredibly fast, mostly in the dynamics of pianissimo Mm -hmm. or pianissimo or piano. And to bring out different colors while playing all of those notes and at the same time having a big picture of the piece and making long, beautiful singing lines is definitely a technical challenge. This is such a difficult work. Even most pianists don't play this piece. Can you talk about the balance in your body? How do you achieve these notes that are flowing so quickly, but also this beautiful long line? What I have to aim for in my physical and mental presence is freedom in my mm. arms, my body, my back, my shoulders, my fingers, my fingertips, and they all have to work together in sort of one motion. The sound basically comes from your back, and your shoulders are like the wing bone. Right. And the first step to relaxing your arms, my fingertips, they have to be incredibly sensitive. And my arms, very fluid, like the piece. It's as if I'm moving my arms in the water. It's very graceful when you move inside the water. And that's something I aim for and I play the piece. Well, aim for and and absolutely succeed. (laughs) Thank you. So I know that despite your excellent English, you weren't actually born in the U.S. I'm from Seoul, South Korea. I lived in Seoul for 14 years. And then I moved to Massachusetts with my family in August 2021. My family was always looking for an opportunity to move to the States. We all wanted to try studying abroad, and an opportunity came. 
So how did that feel, knowing that your entire family was moving halfway across the world so that you could study music here? At first, it was a huge burden because I always reminded myself about how much my family has sacrificed for me mm -hmm. and how much I have to live up to that. I'm incredibly grateful for my family's sacrifice, all the changes they had to make to adjust to my studies. But we're also really getting along well here. How has the experience of coming to the U.S. and to Walnut Hill changed both you and your playing? When I was in Korea, I was in a very competitive environment. It can be good because it sort of pushes you to pull out the best within yourself. Mm -hmm. But I also realized that I was terribly afraid of making mistakes. When I moved here, one of the most inspiring quotes was from my teacher, Miss Bake. It's actually a quote from Mr. Sherman. It's that you have to put your worst foot forward. It's the individual side that's unique, and that's what builds empathy with the audience. I'm really trying hard to allow myself to make mistakes, to allow myself to be vulnerable. When did you understand that you wanted to be a professional musician? Is your family a musical family? My mom is a great pianist, not a professional, but mm -hmm. she would improvise something on the piano and sing to herself, and it always sounds amazing. How great. My aunt is a pianist. The funny story is that my mom actually wanted to become a pianist, but when my mom was going to a serious teacher in Korea, my grandmother made her younger sister, so my aunt, go with her. <laughs> she was looking for a discount. <laughs> and she was only going to let one of them major in piano, and the teacher said the younger one is more talented. Oh, ouch, ouch. <laughs> so my aunt is a pianist. So I was exposed to music from a very early age. We always loved music. Around when I was eight, I stumbled upon a video of Sung Jin Cho uh -huh. playing Chopin's Skirts Number no. 2 at the Chopin competition in 2015. I was so mesmerized by the lyrical components of his playing. That was when I realized that there's something more to piano playing. From that point, I started to think, maybe this is what I want to do with my life. It sounds like you have tremendous tenacity and you're not scared by pieces that are going to be a long haul. We are all so grateful to get a chance to hear you. Thank you so much for being you. on From the Top with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. 16-year-old pianist Sehyun Kim, originally from South Korea, now living and studying at the Walnut Hills School for the Arts. Next, we have 17-year-old violinist Jiu Oh, a junior at Walnut Hill and another transplant from South Korea. Jiu is a Jack Kent Cook Young Artist Award recipient. Hello, Jiu. Welcome to From the Top. Hi, thank you for having me. What will you be sharing with our listeners today? I'll be playing Vocalist by Rachmaninoff. This is a piece that I've loved ever since I was really young. Great, let us take it from the top. Thank you. 
That was 17-year-old violinist G.U.O. from Seoul, South Korea, now a junior at the Walnut Hill School for the Arts, playing Rachmaninoff. G.U., playing that piece together with you is so satisfying because you're such a wonderful listener. I really enjoyed playing with you, and that's so sweet of you to say that. I know that this piece wasn't actually originally written for the violin. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's originally written for the voice, but it's also played by so many different instruments. There is an orchestra version of it. I heard that the violin is the instrument that represents the human voice the most. I think the violin can bring out that piercing but also majestic sound. Just a couple of months ago, you lived in Korea. (laughs) Can you tell us how it happened that you came here so suddenly? Last year, I had this amazing opportunity to participate at the Chamber Music Northwest Young Artists Institute. Mm -hmm. And there, my current teacher, Suvin Kim, introduced me to Jennifer Elowich, who is the music director of my school. She saw the live stream of my performance and she was like, oh, it would be so great if you could study with us. And I was like, so when will I be starting? And they were like, oh, this coming (laughs) fall, which was really sudden for me because the festival ended at like July. I had to talk with my parents about it. And at first they said no because it was too sudden, right? Yeah, Because it's like a really big change. Emotionally and logistically, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) But I was like, oh, this is the opportunity that I've always wanted. This is my chance. I really have to go. You just moved here, but your English is spectacular. How did that (laughs) happen? Thank you. Shout out to my mom. (laughs) Did your family also teach you music? My mom has always been interested in classical music, and she used to play it. I got into violin when I was five or six years old because I was obsessed with the Phantom of the Opera. I (laughs) I still am. (laughs) I really wanted to become an opera singer, but I realized that I'm not a very good singer. (laughs) So I started the violin. My only goal actually was to play the Phantom of the Opera Overture. And then I reached that goal and I suddenly started liking music. And And here I am. Here you are singing on the violin. (laughs) I love that. Have you ever had a particular performance that you felt afterwards, wow, I I really learned something from that one. At the composer's concert at Walnut Hill, I played a piece by Justin Zlavis. He is on the show today. Yeah, mm I have played it as a quartet with my friends. I could actually feel the connection between me and each individual audience member. Mm -hmm. I realized that music isn't just about telling my own story. It's more about communicating with the audience. How does it feel to know the person behind the composition? Mm. Most of the time, we guess throughout the evidences that we have from the score, right? So... It can never be what actually the composer intended for us to play. But when I was playing Justin's piece during rehearsals, I would be inspired about what he explains about his music to us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when we play, he would be inspired and change some of his pieces. Amazing. So it was like a real collaboration and such a great experience for me. Jiu, thank you so much for playing with me. Thank you. It was a pleasure. 17-year-old violinist G.U.O. from Seoul, South Korea, now a junior at the Walnut Hills School for the Arts.
Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Jack Kent Cooke Foundation, providing scholarships to high-achieving students with financial need, jkcf.org. From BritBox with Payback, a new original crime thriller from the creator of Line of Duty and Bodyguard, starring Grantchester's Morvan Christie and Ozark's Peter Mullen, streaming at BritBox.com NPR. And from ECMC Foundation at ecmcfoundation.org. Today on From the Top, we are reveling in the musicianship of students from the prestigious Walnut Hills School for the Arts. I'm pianist Orly Shaham, and as a piano teacher myself, I'm doubly impressed with the focus, initiative, and ambition of these young musicians. We will hear now from a bold French horn player, 17-year-old Daniel Ma, currently a junior at Walnut Hill. He and I will be playing the Allegro from the Adagio and Allegro for Horn and Piano by Robert Schumann.
That was the Allegro from the Adagio and Allegro for Horn and Piano by Robert Schumann, played by 17-year-old French horn player Daniel Ma. I'm pianist Orly Shaham, and I had the pleasure of playing with him. Daniel, it is such a blast to play this Schumann with you. You have so much energy, but at the same time, this beautiful, warm tone. I know that you've been playing the horn since you were incredibly young. How old were you when you started, and, and what in the world motivated you <laughs> to pick the French horn? Well, I was six and a half in elementary school. They had choirs for first graders and there's string instruments. I thought string instruments was way too hard. Violins, they don't have frets. I have no idea how to get in tune on that. So I was like, I'm not going to try it. And choir, I got in the choir the first day and I also got kicked out the first day. (laughs) I kind of coughed and I messed up. But again, somebody went in my classroom, saw my lips and told me to buzz. And they were like, okay. Let's put you on the horn. I remember once reading that the most stressful job was air traffic controller, but the second most stressful job was playing French horn in a symphony orchestra. (laughs) Yeah, because our harmonics are so close, making mistakes is so easy. Yeah. But the horn kind of can fit in both the woodwind and the brass world. We can play very lyrical stuff, but we can also join the brass section. What keeps you inspired when the challenges are so great? The reward that comes from playing a piece that you enjoy. It's the music that that keeps pushing you. Well, in Weber's Concertino for Horn, Uh in the cadenza, there's a little multiphonics. I had no idea how to play it at the time (laughs) because there are four notes written, like two of the notes are the harmonic sound of the horn, and you're supposed to sing one of the notes. I had no idea which note to sing. Wow. And I was just trying around. This technique is just really fun. Sometimes it tickles my throat. <laughs> it feels like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cough, but when I do it right, I think it's a really cool texture that the horn can play. I love that. Would you mind picking up your horn and showing us what it was that you sort of first managed to encounter and then how you developed it into the sound you were looking for? Yeah. Usually multiphonics are really low on the horn, so... Something like that. I haven't practiced it in a while. But I when I started, I couldn't play it. It's more like this, like, <laughs> like me just dying on the way. So take apart that multiphonic sound. What are the layers that we're hearing? So I'm playing a note. The reason we choose the real low note, so it's much more stable. Mm-hmm. And we sing a note, usually a fifth above it. If you make the fifth a little lower than it should be, it's going to be really in tune. But if you just mess around with the intonation of your singing and your playing, you're going to get that third note out just because the harmonics start to click in. Okay, so I can buy the idea that once you have it right, the instrument will vibrate and give you the harmonic. But you're both blowing a note into the instrument and singing a note at the same time. Aren't you using the very same air paths to yeah. make do- those two things? Basically, when I play the horn, the part that's making the sound is my lips. That's the buzzing part, which transfers through the instrument and make it the sound. But the other part is me growling or speaking in my throat. And that sound also passes through the horn, but it's a different pitch. Can we hear that sound without a horn at your lips? Yeah, so this is the plain buzzing. And this is me humming. Wow, that is it's so It's going to sound cool. way better on the horn, but <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I'm using two different ways of making sound, and it creates chords that no one thinks that the horn can do. I love that. You played so beautifully. Thank you so much, Daniel, for being with us on From the Top. Thank you. 17-year-old horn player Daniel Ma, originally from Beijing, China, now a junior at Walnut Hill School for the Arts. Do you love hearing from these outstanding young musicians? Now you can listen to their full interviews on our website. Go to fromthetop.org slash listen. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, offering visitors information about the arts, culture, and history of Boston. The journey begins at visitma.com. And from Dignity Memorial, helping families plan life celebrations now so their loved ones are protected later, because nobody should have to plan for a loss while they're experiencing one. Learn more at dignitymemorial.com. This is NPR. Welcome back to From the Top. I'm pianist Orly Shaham, and it's so great to be with all of you, thanks to the generosity of faithful donors like Susan and Gerald Slavitt. If you're just joining us, we're recording at Futura Productions in Boston with students from the Walnut Hills School for the Arts. I'm excited to introduce our next young musician, 18-year-old singer Marley Matika. Hi, Marley. Welcome to From the Top. I'm so happy to be here. What will you be singing for us today? Lit der Mignon by Schubert. I'm so excited to play it with you. Are you ready to take it? From the top? Let's do it. Yes!
18-year-old vocalist, Marley Matika, originally from Oregon, currently a senior at Walnut Hills School for the Arts, singing Franz Schubert's Lied der Mignon. Marley, that music is so beautiful and intimate. You bring so much of your personality to it. Thank you. I know that as a singer, you're considered incredibly young and your voice is going to evolve for a long time. You came into Walnut Hill as a a freshman in high school. Were you already singing before that? Yes, I started voice lessons at age 12. I had a background in musical theater starting when I was seven, but I really, really wanted to focus on opera. (laughs) So are there specific things that now you can do with your voice that you really (laughs) couldn't do when you were younger? Oh, goodness. I mean... Coloratura, the runs that I do now are still mind-boggling to me because I'm like, how am I producing these notes? Like, are they coming from me? (laughs) So I mean, any type of run and also developing like my middle range. So coloratura, that very high, beautiful range. Could you possibly sing for us something in that range? Give us an example. Yes, this is Bid the Virtues, a part of Come Ye Sons of Art. Um, <laughs> I mean, I bet it sounds good wherever you're listening, whether it's on earbuds or on a speaker, but it sounds really good in the room here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Where does that confidence come from, and have you always felt that way? The confidence came from my mom. She always cheered me on. I love this so much, and I get to share it with other people. That's so cool. A lot of being a singer is just meticulously working. Oh, my diction is off right here. Let me redo it and redo it. But when I get to share it, it's like, look, look, like, cool. I love that it's about that communication Mm -hmm. with you, and that's such an important part of being an artist, sharing it with others. I know that your multifaceted identity has had (laughs) a very important impact on how you experience the world. Tell us a little bit about what you've done to create both literal and figurative spaces for inclusivity. Yeah. When I was in my sophomore year, my teacher and the whole class were discussing the political and social events happening in that time period. I ended up going up to one of my classmates that I had never talked to before, and I was like, hey, I have an idea. And so together, this guy named Nick, one of my dearest friends, we created Thrive, which is an organization for anybody and everybody in our community that has felt othered in any way. Which is really everybody, Which right? Exactly, exactly. Way. We try to bolster our community and uplift each other. There are a lot of different affinity groups and organizations, but you always have to identify yourself. Mm-hmm. And for some things, that can be scary. It's just been so fun to bring people together in our community. Are you imagining that as you go into the classical music world that this kind of engagement is part of your responsibility? Oh, 100%. I think that the only way that classical music and opera can survive is if it changes with the times. For example, like seeing people that look like you on stage at the BSO or in an an opera, that's more than words can say. Also changing the repertoire in addition to honoring the things that need to be honored, incorporating new works and letting the stage reflect what our world looks like now. Thank you so much for coming and for collaborating with me. I really loved working with you. Thank you. It's been amazing to be here. (laughs) 18-year-old vocalist Marley Matika, originally from Oregon, currently a senior at Walnut Hills School for the Arts in Natick, Massachusetts. Last but definitely not least, sitting next to me now is Walnut Hill alum 18-year-old Justinas Jlabis from New Haven, Connecticut. Justinas is a first-year student at the Juilliard School, 
He's a classically trained violist, jazz improviser, and an accomplished young composer. Welcome to From the Top, Justinas. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited for our audience to hear the national radio premiere of this piece, A Warren of Illusion. I absolutely love that title. Thank you. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you can tell us before we listen that yeah. might enhance our listening. Absolutely. Well, I love Brahms, and Brahms <laughs> reuses motifs and material through his music. Composers are often told to study Brahms to learn how to develop and I spent a lot of time shuffling the piece around, so it ended up being that the material that was developed sometimes came before the material that it was based off of. There's lots of allusions to later moments in melodies and even in the harmony. I really believe in motific harmony. Well, so that title reflects the compositional process. Who's playing here? The first violinist is G.U.O. The second violinist is Jessica Kartawajaya. The cellist is Alex Aranzabal. And the violist is Hayu. They are four of my close friends from Walnut Hill School for the Arts. Let us take it from the top. A Warren of Illusion by Justinas Jlabis. This is the first movement, Allure.
We just heard Allure, the first movement of A Warren of Illusion by the 18-year-old composer Justinas Jlabis, now a first-year student at the Juilliard School. Justinas, this is such a cool piece. I love the textures, the way that you use different combinations of instruments with the melodic lines. It's like we're looking at the music from a slightly different vantage point every time that you do that. Thank you. How do you hear the music first? Is it something where you have to play it at an instrument? Well, I'm an improviser, and most of my ideas are spawned in improvisation. It's often just going and going, messing with something until I like it, and then I'll write it down. What instrument do you improvise on? I improvise on the piano, primarily. You play the viola and violin a bit, too. Do you try things out at the various instruments? Do you borrow a friend's cello to feel what that would feel like? Or do you really just go with, I think this should work Mm -hmm. from a pure music point of view? Honestly, more than borrowing a friend's cello, I borrow a friend. The cellist you hear in the recording, I spent a lot of time in his practice room asking him if this is comfortable to play. Thank you. As as a performer, (laughs) I I appreciate your having us in mind. What is the experience like when you first hear real acoustic instruments in front of you playing your music? I'm always smiling so much. (laughs) I feel really strongly that the composer can really interfere with the way that the group plays as a chamber group. For them to connect, they have to kind of have some time with the piece and each other and then kind of be as a, uh, an advising figure on it. So then when you actually hear them, have you had an experience of being swayed by something that maybe you hadn't conceived of? In another movement of this piece, there was an accident where the violinist played a note above the note that they were meant to hit. I love the note. It's in the score now. There's a singular grace note that totally became part of the music. Because so much of the process involves players, I feel that the piece isn't really finished until it's performed. Mm. I'm always open to suggestions. You said maybe somebody plays a note and then you actually think, oh, that's better. And of course, there's so much history of that. Mozart heard a particular singer singing and therefore wanted to shape the phrase that way. So once you've made that change, in your mind, is that a permanent change? Or is it possible that another set of performers might amend your piece in some way? And and how do you control that? That's really interesting. I think that the fact that the piece grows as it's played is something that's very true to me. If we were to continue playing Mozart's music as the, the way Mozart had it in his head, there would be no music that came after it. Hmm. I learn more about the piece when I hear the players work with it. Do you remember a moment where you went from, okay, I'm creating something just for the sake of creating it, and I am putting this down for the ability to recreate it later? Yeah. I mean, it was totally a composition for non-majors class. At Walnut Hill, I was very lucky to have this wonderful composition teacher. And there were only a few students, so I got a lot of attention, a lot of time. Through that class, I was given access to performers and a very non-judgmental environment that I think was a big factor in why I'm still writing. Amazing. You've been so eloquent in everything that you've told us. Thank you so much for joining us today, Justinas. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. 18-year-old Justinas Jlabis, composer and violist from New Haven, Connecticut. It has been so fun to be with students from the Walnut Hills School for the Arts. Thank you to our young musicians, the future shapers of our musical landscape, and to you, our listeners, for bringing us along on your walk, your drive, into your laundry room, to join this accomplished and joyful group of young musicians and composers on From the Top. I'm pianist Orly Shaham. 
Please join us next week for more beautiful music on From the Top. This episode was recorded at Futura Productions with engineer John Weston and assistance from Chris Wilson and Mar Jimenez. A Warren of Illusion was recorded at Rockport Music's Shalin Lu Performance Center by engineer Luke Damrosh. From the Top is produced by Megan Swan and Abigail Desser. Sound design and music editing by John Escobar, with editing and mastering by Rodrigo Cuenca. Our production manager is Amanda Roth. A special thank you to the Jack Kent Cook Foundation for their support of our young musicians. From the Top's executive director is Gretchen Nielsen. From the Top is an independent nonprofit organization based in Boston. If you'd like to appear on our program, apply online at fromthetop.org. From the Top is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Support for NPR comes from the station and from the Massachusetts Cultural Council, a state agency connecting young people with the arts in schools and in their communities. Learn more at massculturalcouncil.org. From the Wallace Foundation, working to develop and share practices that can improve learning and enrichment for young people and the vitality of the arts for everyone. Ideas and information at wallacefoundation.org. And from the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation at macfound.org. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You know, while From the Top is distributed by NPR, it isn't owned by NPR. It's an independent nonprofit, and so we have to do our own fundraising to make it happen. Please consider making a donation to our ongoing entertainment and education programs at fromthetop.org. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions. This week on NPR's Book of the Day podcast, we are discussing books centering mothers. So call your mom, then tune into the Book of the Day podcast from NPR.